Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Donna Beheit. Donna is or was part of the Air Force uh, after high school from 1986 to 1990. She was in the military intelligence division there. She was also a small business owner of a printing franchise for about a decade, and she's been married for 27 years with three children of her own, and they are the last one is now currently in college. Donna, you are currently running for political office. Can you kind of fill us in where you're running and a little bit more about yourself? Well, hi. Thanks, Eric. Yes, my uh, my district for the Ohio House of Representatives uh, is the 69th district, and that encompasses about three-quarters of Medina County. I have uh, 10 townships, two cities, Medina City and Wadsworth City, and then five villages. I have Westfield Center Village, Lodi Village, Seville Village, uh, Chippewa Lake, and Gloria Glens. Okay, and so for those of you who might not know the Ohio geography all that well, that's south of Cleveland, about 40, 45 minutes-ish, and a little bit west of Akron. So right yes. in that little pocket right there. So right between our two two of our bigger cities. Yes. So I wanted you on the podcast today because, you know, you've been kind of promoting healthcare as a lot of the stuff you're running on, which obviously as a pharmacist is something that's close to my heart. So I thought it'd be something that we could, we could talk about here. And Ohio has been a huge focal point with pharmacy. I know me and you have discussed previously some of the, some of the things that have been going on with PBMs and what have you. So Ohio has been a huge focal point for pharmacy with some of the egregious PBM abuses. And given that this affects Medicaid, since they're kind of like the uh, MCOs or managed care organizations that are part of this, this system really affects like the taxpayers and is really regulated by the state legislators, hopefully like yourself as a state representative. And the system really kind of has poor reimbursement and has caused a lot of pharmacies to even close, including quite a few in your, your specific district you're running for, which was Ritzman Pharmacy. Yes, we had 20 you know, Ritzman Pharmacy had been a staple in Medina County. They, the pharmacy was, had been in business, Ritzman, uh, for well over 80 years. And I believe in 2018, 2019, January of 2019, CVS comes in and buys 20, all 20 of the pharmacies and closes 17 of them down. Yeah, that was a that was a huge hit to your area. And because there's less pharmacies, that means people have to obviously transfer. But it also means that they might have to travel further or go further to go get their, their pharmacy care, their pharmaceutical care, which in your district, it's not the most rural, but it starts hitting that, that edge of where, okay, now it might not be, you know, 15, 20 minutes away. It might be, you know, like 30 minutes. And it, it, there's not really a whole lot of uh, uh, busing transportation or public transportation that can really connect people with that. So is that an issue that kind of worries you a little bit with with your district? Oh, absolutely. It's a it's a worrisome development because the um, Wadsworth City, Medina City, it takes you 20 to 25 minutes to travel between each of those cities. Brunswick is another 15 to 20 minutes above um, Medina City. And, you know, outside of those cities, it's mostly rural. A lot of people think Medina County is the suburbia, but we really aren't. Lodi Village, Westfield Center, Seville, all along the southern part of the county, down even into the Ritman area. They're very rural, very vast areas. And when you have to travel to Medina City or Wadsworth or even up to Brunswick, you know, outside those cities, transportation, you know, doesn't run. You know, it doesn't run from Lodi to Seville or, you know, Seville to Medina City. So without that access to care, 
without having those additional pharmacies there. You know, there's no choice. You you have to find transportation and, you know, it gets very difficult for a lot of people very quickly. Yeah. And I know the area really well. Uh, I didn't tell you this before coming on, but my great grandparents owned a farm out there uh, just outside Medina. So I kind of grew up around there. Uh, my mom worked in Brunswick for decades. So I know the area very well. And I went camping all through there and have tons of friends in the area. So I know it pretty well myself. And yeah, it can be very difficult when with just even traveling from city to city is not exactly the quickest, just given how far you have to go. So obviously with the Ritzman closing, there was a lot of loss in your area. Not all 17 of them that closed were in your district, but there was quite a few of them that were in there. So one of the things I want to kind of pivot to with this was, is since pharmacies are closing with the access of care, we have provider status in Ohio now as, as pharmacists. And kind of wanted to know, what do you think that the provider status can do to help improve access to care in areas that are already kind of limited, like your district, where people might have to go a very long way to get to a provider's office or get to a hospital, things like that? Yeah, I mean, in Ohio, just generally, 68 counties are considered medically underserved. And when you have, and Medina is one of them. And so when you have that medically underserved area, by giving pharmacists the ability to go out and do preventative medical services and counseling is, is a huge boost to that access for care you know, necessary, you know, for jail or correctional institutions, right? So, and and along with, uh, let's see, what's the other one? Ambla- um, surgical facilities, you know, for um, ambulatory mm-hmm. surgical facilities, um, hospice, and working in nursing homes. Uh, you know, when when you have additional people who can go out and serve the communities in that respect, it just boosts the access to care tremendously. And that is, you know, pediatric respite services. So so a lot of these services, you know, we, we don't really think of if it's not something that pertains to our medical history or our medical needs at the moment. But there's so many people out there who having that additional access would would be just a fantastic service to, you know, to have here. Yeah. And you have a little bit of story we'll dive into it in a minute, but for me, obviously growing up in the around the area where you're running for office and living just outside of it currently, I know that there's a lot of older people who are there and their pharmacy because they're there so often getting their prescriptions for what whatever their healthcare needs are, having somebody who can provide that service at that point or could make that call or help make a change to improve, you know, what they're seeing with that patient not necessarily on the fly, but with a little bit of a, like a workup right there could be a huge difference. Cause a lot of people do have not just the um, transportation issues, but mobility issues. You know, when they get to the pharmacy, I know having worked in that district several times, they'll come there and they'll wait because they have to go so far or they have to, you know, they're, they're not that mobile. So when they come in, they're already waiting there and then they're talking with the pharmacist. They know their pharmacist, they have that rapport with them and that goes a long way. And some of your firsthand experiences kind of growing up, you worked in a pharmacy, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, that was my first W-2 was, uh, was, was working in a pharmacy. I grew up in eastern Kentucky, and everything is done by the county there. So, so we had two pharmacies in the one town in the whole county. That was it, right? And it was funny because we were actually on the same street on the same block <laughs> in this little small town in this county. 
you know, with Dr. Payton, it was Payton's pharmacy on one end and uh, Elam's pharmacy on the other end of the street. And I worked for Dr. Payton in high school. You know, he knew his patients. Everyone who would walk through the door, it was, hey, Dr. Payton, I've got this going on. Dr. Payton had great relationships with the the one hospital that was in the county, <laughs> right, that was in our city, um, that small town. And so, so when something came up or, you know, he had good relationship with them. He could call them and talk to them and say, hey, I've got so-and-so here, um, you know, maybe we should decrease or increase or change things or what have you. And so, so that's how I grew up where everyone knew everyone else, of course, but the camaraderie or the, the knowledge, I guess is really where I'm going with that. Dr. Payton knew his patients when they came through the door. And, and for me, that was that, you know, looking back, it was very important. Now I feel like I'm just a number when I walk into my CVS store here in Wadsworth to pick up prescriptions, right? I don't know who's behind the counter and I don't know them. You know, they don't know me. And so how are they supposed to give me the best service that I know they can with what I need? And, and so I miss that being as part of, you know, a pharmacy family or community, I guess that's a better way to put it because you are part of the community. Yeah. And, and I think the one thing you kind of hit on too is you came from an area that sounds like it was underserved medically in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I know a lot of Kentucky is, and I didn't realize that much of Ohio was. That's like what two thirds, three quarters of Ohio right there is uh, is medically underserved. And uh, again, a lot of the area where you work. And I think it's pretty interesting because I know a lot of pharmacists who live out there too in that area and either drive to Cleveland or drive to Akron, wherever to work. But, you know, if we utilize our skills as pharmacists, and it could just be simple like blood pressure screenings and kind of those little basic things that we're checking up on to adjust people's doses of stuff because we see them all the time. We know them. We talk to them. Sometimes we might see them buy a big salty thing of peanuts or something like that. We can ha- step in and have, <laughs> Say, a little discu- <laughs> yeah, have a little discussion right there. But I think that, you know, like you said, that community part of it is huge that really allows us a little bit different angle on it, which is good because, and I know I'm guilty of this too. A lot of times when people go in to see their provider, it's, hey, you know, I've been watching what you eat. Yeah, I've been watching it. Okay, well, your blood pressure is still high. But, you know, why is that? When you get at a pharmacy, sometimes for whatever reason, people tend to share a little bit more with us because they see us more. Maybe they're not as intimidated by our white coat because it's not as long as the MDs. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but, but like you said, with that community nature and seeing them so much and being so accessible, that really gives us a chance to make an impact. Is that kind of how you foresee some of this provider status stuff and allowing us to make small changes? Absolutely. You know, when, when my, I was talking to my son about pharmacy, you know, what a pharmacist does versus what a doctor does. And he was like, but I don't understand all the pharmacist does is just hand me my drugs. And so I think that disconnect is part of the problem that I see with with this as well is because people don't understand that you've gone through all those years of schooling, right, mm-hmm. to to understand the interactions of drugs. The doctors do the diagnoses. Yeah. Where I think and and I think that's kind of, you know, where the where when when we started seeing all the drug commercials on on TV, Right. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden we're walking into our doctor's office and saying, hey, I heard about this new drug. Can you prescribe it for me? So taking that, taking that into the pharmacy versus taking it to the doctors, you know, I just see I just see more of a collaboration between the two than there is or has been in the last 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. I just 
I see that I, I see more of a collaboration between the pharmacist and the doctor versus one standalone and another standalone. Oh yeah, totally. And we're even seeing some of that now with, uh, as we're recording this, it's uh, April 2nd. So we're right in the middle of the whole, uh, COVID outbreak, if you will, whether it gets, hopefully it gets better soon, but just to kind of give people context is when we're recording this and we're seeing where there's some States and I believe even Ohio, what I saw, they're really trying to make a push for pharmacists to be able to do these type of swab tests. Once we get proper PPE, I have to kind of put that caveat in there for our own protection. (laughs) But we're seeing where they're saying, hey, look, we are so overwhelmed with these hospitals. You know, maybe we can have pharmacists do this. And they're doing testing in pharmacy parking lots and Walmart parking lots and things like Should that. Should be. Yes, absolutely. Um, is This is kind of a an opportunity. Well, an opportunity, but also a call out for all hands on deck, right? Mm-hmm. We can't let people sit on the sidelines because they haven't done it before or they didn't have permission from a doctor to do it. And that's another thing about provider status. It's like when I'll tell you a quick story. Go ahead. And I'll condense the I'll condense the time of years. <laughs> I was I was in my 30s and I have three small children, but I fall and I completely shatter a bone in my in my forearm. And so they send me home with Percocet. And I'm like, "Ooh, Percocet. I've never taken Percocet before." And <laughs> Before I know it, I am I am taking two. I mean, every couple of hours, I'm just starting to really hammer these pills. And they were waking me up in the middle of the night every couple of hours going, you know, hey, you need another one. You need another one. And I got scared. And I know it wasn't supposed to, but I got rid of them and, and flushed them down the toilet because I got scared. Fast forward probably another 10 years or so, I have another medical issue. I go in, they send me home with more, uh, with a prescription for 30 days. And I know I don't need 30 days. I want a week, you know, just to get me through that initial heavy pain. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, when I go to fill the prescription at the pharmacy, I tell them, I said, look, they gave me 30 days. I don't want 30 days. I only need seven. And they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, we can't change the prescription. And I go, but I don't want to fill the whole prescription. And she said, I'm sorry, we can't do anything about it. We ha- if you turn this in, we have to give you 30 days. And see, and that's where I, I start having a little bit of a problem with you guys not having the, the provider status that you need to be able to say, you know what, you're right. You don't, if you don't want 30 days, you shouldn't have to take 30 days. We'll call your doctor or we'll just go ahead and change this to seven days. Well, and no refills or something along that line, yeah. right? And so so that's where another part of having provider status is very important for you guys as well because you should be able to make those if, if, the, if the patient doesn't want to fill an opioid, you know, and this was back in 2001 when I first got the per- Percocet, you know, and, and, and they gave me like three months supply. <laughs> yeah. There is a little thing I want to say there is technically they can do that. Now, maybe they could have switched to something uh, a little less potent like Norco or Tramadol that could really help you in a situation like this if we had something like provider status, but we didn't have that back then. They they told me, I'm sorry, we can't do that. And so what I ended up doing was not filling that prescription at all. Uh, Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, I just, you, you suck it up and you take the Tylenol every few hours and you, you, you work through it. But you know, it's like, I don't want to have to put 
myself in that position again. You know, why shouldn't the the pharmacist be able to make those, you know, reductions or increases or changes in a prescription that the doctor may not know that you don't really need, you know, because a lot of that comes from post-surgery. So day, you know, I go to a day in and out surgery, right? So I go in, I get a procedure done. I'm coming out, I'm half, you know, loopy because (laughs) they're sending you home right away with a handful of prescriptions. So you don't really get to talk to anybody, right? They're just sending you home with this stuff. And then you go to get it filled and then you're like, wait a minute, I don't want all this or, (laughs) or I don't even need half of this. And, and I just, you know, get rid of the prescriptions or tear them up, what have you. But you should be able to make, you know, those, have that conversation with the, with the pharmacist. That's what you went to school for. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what happens a lot of times with some of that stuff too, and this sounds crazy, but we see where, you know, they discharge somebody with a dose of medication. And I like to use, you know, kids' antibiotics as an example. They'll write a dose for it and not realize that it was incorrect or, and we have to, call and we have to page somebody because it's after hours just to get them to switch it to what is the appropriate dose we can't just like go change it and then let them know after the fact and it, it can create a huge barrier especially if it's late at night or it's a weekend or something like that and i mean it could just been a simple math error on their part we see that all the time in pharmacy you know like you said with the percocet thing it'd be it'd be really nice if we could and i know this is more of a federal thing but you know, with provider status, is something we could easily do was, hey, you only want a week, we'll give you a week, they wrote for 30, we can put those other 23 essentially on file with you. And, you know, if you need them, we can give them out to you, something like that. But again, that's kind of the way the some of the legalities of that are drawn up currently. And what some of our limits are placed on us by with not having provider status federally. The other thing that I thought was interesting, too, was, like you said, we have all this ex- specialized training with stuff, but we're so limited. So one of the other things about provider status too is it actually helps offset some of the cost structure issues that are currently in pharmacies with PBMs that have, again, directly impacted your district because of the closing of Ritzman Pharmacy. Do you see that maybe this is a way we can help offset some of those cost structures that are currently like forcing pharmacies to close all over not America and Ohio that could then increase care to people but also help keep them open so they can provide those basic pharmacy services? Absolutely. You know, the the transparency in the reimbursement system to the pharmacy, I think that's a big reason why um, Ritzman Pharmacy just ended up selling to CVS was the cost structure. You know, when when you're looking at now, I'm coming at this also from being a prior business owner. Right. When I went in my printing company, when I when I bought the paper. Right. I knew what my cost was. I knew what my cost was for printing. I knew what my cost was for um, for overhead, keeping the lights on and paying my employees, right? So all of that gets figured into the cost of or the, the price that I would put on my printing. So, so when you have the PBNs that come in and they're influencing the drug cost at the beginning and then they're influencing what you're actually getting reimbursed, at the pharmacy, you know, level, if they're if they're on both sides of that equation, how is that good for business? So, you know, I'm I just did a quick business model for a pharmacy, just kind of off the top of my head, and I was looking at the percentage of what the PBMs or the MCOs would would be paying to the Medicaid, you know, from Medicaid, 
um, and then regular insurance, what, what percentage they would be getting and, and miscellaneous retail and, and your provider status. And, 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 you know, and then you've got to figure in your manufacturing rebates. But if, if that, if you don't know as a pharmacy, how much you're actually getting reimbursed for medication that you're selling from day to day. And a lot of times losing money mm-hmm. on that medication that you're selling every day, day to day. How can, how can you even, how can you run a business that way? You, you just can't how, you know, you wouldn't know how much money you're making from quarter to quarter until after rebates come back or your reimbursements may come in and they're not coming in the way you think they're supposed to come in. I mean, that is absolutely no way to run a business. So I feel for these independent pharmacies who are trying to figure out how to keep their doors open, you know, and when you've got PBMs who, you know, um, pharmacies who own (laughs) the, you know, both sides of that equation, that from the managed care to the PBMs to the pharmacies, when you've got somebody who has their finger in all those pies, like CVS and, and CareSource, you've got, you know, you've got the balances tipped too far in one direction. And the independent pharmacies just can't manage, you know, and, and I was reading in the um, Medicaid pharmacy services, the auditors uh, report from 2018, you know, was, was talking about this and, and they were also looking at different ways other states have kind of addressed some of these issues with the PBMs. It looks like in Texas in 2014, they prohibit the PBMs from charging pharmacy transactional fees. That, I mean, that's a good I, step. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, so some of these small little things could go a long way to helping some of these independent pharmacies like Ritzman, who'd been in business for over 80 years. It's not like they didn't know how to run a business. Yeah. Right. And, and help some of these guys to stay in. West Virginia, you know, they're increasing payments to the pharmacy for the fee to service and address, you know, addressing concerns um, in relation to the care coordination, you know, and and so they're looking at um, trying to view pharmacy data in a real time basis and trying to help independent pharmacies that way as well. So so a lot of this a lot of this transparency could go a long way to help independent pharmacists and pharmacies. Yeah, and I think the key there is, you know, Ritzman is just the one example we keep talking about here. Here's a smaller chain in your area, obviously. But, you know, the service that they can provide and the consistency they have with like their patients is just huge versus some of these some of these larger chains. Like you said, you feel like you didn't know the pharmacist at the CVS when you walk in uh, in Wadsworth. But, you know, a smaller chain, you're or even like an independent, you're going to usually know who that person is, if not always know who that person is, who's filling your prescription. And then that's what really allows them to know you to be able to do some of these services to help you out and then improve access to care while also driving down costs. So absolutely, you know, absolutely. And, and the generic drugs. So I was reading this report that said generic drugs overall, overall across the board was dropping, except Mm -hmm. That small section of generic drugs that is the heavy prescribed ones, but they're going up, you know, and it's like, well, why? Why are we paying more, you know, the cost? Why, why, why are we paying more for generic drugs that the cost is actually coming down on? And, yeah. and who, who is driving that cost? 
PBMs <laughs> driving that cost. And it's like, it, it just, when they have so much weight on one side of that scale, it's just, it's just open for, for opportunities for fraud in so many different directions. And we just need to make sure that we're shining lights in every direction in that transparency and making sure that, you know, the, that we keep them on the up and up and keep them from, from weighing everything to one side and not the other. And this is why I wanted you on here because I know you've done your homework on this. And for being somebody who's just running for office, who's not currently in office, I think that's huge because you understand you get the problem. You've seen the problem in, in your own towns and where you live. And that's something that a lot of people and a lot of even current legislators, even at a federal level, have a very hard time understanding. So thank you for obviously understanding all of that. I know it's a lot, but it's it's important for everybody and to help you know make sure that everyone's living healthier lives. Well, absolutely. You know, drug drug costs and, you know, it, everything adds up. Yeah. Everything pushes either up or down, you know. So 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 if we can control drug costs for majority of Ohioans, if we can start bringing those the, the cost of going to the doctor, the cost of going to the emergency room, the cost of going and getting prescriptions filled. If we can start hammering away at PBMs and and the managed care organizations in the Medicaid system, just even in that, we can really start driving the costs down overall. And that's what that's that is definitely what I will be working for and toward when I get to the state house. Awesome. I, I, I'm excited for you to get there just because I know the area where you live and I know how infected it was by some of these issues with pharmacies. Now, there's two questions I'm going to close with. I ask everyone who comes on, and I think it's important to ask you since obviously you're a legislator. So if you could change one thing about pharmacy, it doesn't have to be a law, what would you change? Well, you know, I, I probably have to go back to my pharmacy days and, and, and say the corporate culture of pharmacies. You know, like I said, I know it's probably pie in the sky and, and think that, that I should be able to walk into my local pharmacy and they should know who I am and, and know my family and history. And, and, and I don't know, just not be a number maybe. And to, to try to change the corporate culture of a pharmacy and, and just not be a number anymore. I know it sounds kind of apple pie, you know, kind of, kind of thing, but it would be really nice. (laughs) But leave it to beaver, you know, (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not normally that way. I don't like looking back. I, I do like looking forward. So that's why this access to care, I really hope that, that you know, this improves the relationships that, that patients can have with pharmacists. And, 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 and maybe, you know, that's how we change the corporate culture for the pharmacies. I, the funny thing is, is you say that as a patient, but all the pharmacists probably will say that too as pharmacists. So I think if the if the patient and the pharmacist are on the same page, to me, it seems like a no brainer. So I really like that idea. <laughs> right. Uh, the other thing I ask everyone, and this could be interesting for you, if, if you could change one law about pharmacy, federal or state, you might want to focus state since that's what you're running for. Uh, what would you change and why? Well, the transparency. I mean, I, I know I've been hammering at that this whole, um, this whole time, but definitely transparency through the process. You know, when, when you've got 
when you've got PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers are directly talking to drug manufacturers and influencing costs on that end. And then they're at the the top side, you know, with the retail pharmacy and directly um, affecting the reimbursement rates for the drugs that the drug manufacturers are selling to the pharmacies. You know, we just need to make sure that they're not tipping that, you know, continuing to tip that scale so hard in the direction of their own companies. And, and we just, we really just need to shine a spotlight in there and make sure that, that they're above board in, in their influence and their reimbursement for the pharmacies. Yeah. They say sun, sunshine is the best disinfectant. It, it might not work well for COVID, but I think it would work well for something <laughs> like this. Right. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, again, uh, for the listeners, this is Donna Beheit. She's running for the Ohio District 69 representative seat. So it's been a little bit of a mess, obviously, with Ohio with some of our uh, primaries getting pushed back, changed to mail, what have you. But you will be on for the main election, obviously, in November. So thanks for coming on here. And do you have any last words for listeners before uh, we let you go? Wash your hands. Stay inside. <laughs> And social distance if you can, and just stay safe out there. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again. Again, Donna Beheit is her name. She's really passionate about this, which is why I want her on here. And I think it's a it's an important issue that affects everybody. So I think it's important to talk about. So thanks again for coming on and for listening. Thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome. I, I love talking to people like you on this stuff. Uh, and for listeners, if you can, leave me a five-star review. Reach out to Donna if you have any questions about her or her campaign. Uh, this probably will go up obviously a little later than we recorded it just because of timing with everything. But as always, thank you for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.